The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Giggity giggity. And today we're talking about bad movies. We're talking about the movies that you know are bad, but you still love. The, the, the terrible movies that bring a smile to your face every time you see them. The movies that when you're flipping around on a Saturday afternoon, looking for something to watch, looking for some time to kill... You can't help but stop and watch with a big smile on your face, even though you know that this is not a good film. Those are the movies we're talking about. So naturally, we need to have someone in who loves bad movies as much as Don and I do. And we brought in our friend Chad. Welcome to the show, Chad. I, I sure do love them, that's for sure. That's uh, <laughs> it's a little love of mine. <laughs> in fact, um, Rob, I think when, when you and I became friends in high school, as I seem to recall, one of the things we used to do with, with some of our other friends was to, uh, to go out to the video stores and rent like the worst things we could get our hands on. Absolutely. That was the height of uh, entertainment back then. I mean, what, what piece of crap can we watch and sit there and MST3K our way through? Yeah, it's true. And boy, <laughs> did we watch some stinkers back in the day, most of which were both bad and not entertaining. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's only the very special ones that hit that sort of so bad it becomes good. Yeah, that's why I can say I've seen a lot of bad movies, but not all <laughs> of them were all were all that entertaining. Um, unless, of course, they come from Japan, in which case they're awesome. <laughs> I think someone just no, someone just snorted their coke. <laughs> I'm not judging. Whatever gets you through the show, man. <laughs> All right, so um, I think that it would only be proper for Don to go first. So what we're going to do is we're going to do our countdown. We're going to do our number threes, our number twos, and our number ones, and we're just going to cycle through. Uh, so we have a little variety going. And I think that Don would be the best person to start. So Don, tell us, what is your number three terrible movie that you love? Okay. Now this is, I want to I wanna add a, uh, a little bit of a kind of disclaimer exclamation, ex, explanation before, uh, before we start. Mm -hmm. We've talked for a while about doing a cult film episode, and that's kind of problematic because there isn't really a good definition of what a cult film is. Like people think they're the cheesy ass films that folks love, but there's a lot of them that were expensive. Like I count uh, a movie like Labyrinth. Mm -hmm. which was big budget, big names. I mean, David Bowie's package was like starring in that film. Mm -hmm. I think it gets an extra, like a separate credit, doesn't it? It probably, Kinda. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Movies I don't want remade in 3D, but anyway. Um, but but it, it's it's that idea that it's considered a cult film because there's a small but dedicated like fan base. So I thought doing something like this where we specifically talk about bad films that... Mm -hmm. However you however you determine that will be kind of like the intro, the back door into that kind of, of story, because it puts out this idea of um, that something can be entertaining and not good by definition. 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, these are definitely films that sneak in the back door. There's no question on that. Mm-hmm. Because I think mm-hmm. going down my list, uh, the the one that I came up with for number three, and I got a really huge list of, of films <laughs> here, but I'd pick the movie Better Off Dead. Interesting. Oh, yeah. 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 Hmm. Which, it, it's, um, it's like one of John Cusack's earlier films. Yes. Um, it came about sort of near the beginning of the uh, like early mid eighties hug a nerd kind of film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The 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 template had already been um, established, but it hadn't been worn out yet. And it's one of them movies. It didn't get a lot of credit. Um, it didn't get mentioned a lot. A lot of people involved in it later on became famous. Um, it's not really low budget. It's not really big budget. But it 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 it's it's on my list because it's really funny, mm-hmm. and it's one of those strange things. If you stop and think about it, it's one of the most bleak, like movies ever made. The only thing I remember <laughs> about that film is two dollars, two dollars. I think yeah. everyone remembers that. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, I, the... That's all I really remember about it. To be honest. <laughs> Yeah, the, the paper boy. Well, it's it's everybody remembers that. Everybody remembers the uh, the scene because what the premise is, if you've never seen it, is the, the main character's yeah. yeah, the main car- character's girlfriend dumps him, and she's like one of the cool kids, and he's totally distraught, and and he's he's not exactly um like like a, an outcast at their school or anything, but he's one of the guys that you'd normally walk past the hall and never notice. And he's so despondent that his girlfriend dumped him that he's play- he's trying to kill himself all throughout the film. Because mm-hmm. the one the one scene everybody remembers uh, too was um, he's in the basement and he's like wrapped up with like towels and and I believe old like mats mm-hmm. and he's going to cover himself in gasoline and set himself on fire. Mm-hmm. And and this is where I say the movie gets pretty bleak. And the neighbors with their son Ralphie come over and they they uh, they go upstairs for dinner. And he's still wrapped up, and he's still got this jar of gasoline. He's sitting on the table, and he's sitting next to Ralphie's mom, who's the typical, like, you know, oblivious, overbearing mom. And she's going on and on and on. And she butts her smoke out in the uh, in the jar, and the next thing he sees the side blow off the house, and then they're at school <laughs> the next day. Gee, Ralphie, we're sorry your mom blew up. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, there was that. Everybody remembers the scene, too, with uh, he jumps off an overpass. Mm-hmm. Yes, into, I do remember into, that. Yeah, into the freeway, and he ends up like in the back of a garbage truck, and he's saved. And he's like driving down the street, and there's these two guys fixing the power line, and the, they're both yes. black guys. And the one guy looks at the other, goes, "That's a shame, throwing away a perfectly good white boy like that." Yep, <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> that actually was in the uh, that was in the commercials, as I recall. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I remember some of the other bits from that movie that were just, they're just these oddball, funny things that are, you know what I mean? Like, they would be hard to pitch this to a room of executives. Like, uh, (laughs) there was the one character, it was a girl in the school that was going out with the entire basketball team. That's his ex-girlfriend. I thought that was a different girl because there's there's a whole joke where the whole team is surrounding her the whole time. 
And she gets up oh. to, they're in the cafeteria, and she gets up to go get a drink, and they all stand, and they make this grunt, this unified grunting noise. Right. Like, they all, Ugh. and then she's like, it's okay, I'm just getting a drink. Ugh. And they all sit down again. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That was, that was somebody else. Because that's the whole thing with the main guy. He thinks that everybody else is dating his ex. Oh, okay. So is the whole movie then really from his perspective? Like, we're watching a kindly, maybe, um... An unreliable narrator, basically. This is his version of reality, which may or may not actually be reality. It's a tough... It's 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 a good point, because um, one of the things that's happening through the movie is is everybody else is succeeding except him, like um, his little brother. And this is another thing everybody remembers. His little brother is constantly ordering these how-to books through the mail. Oh, right. Because there's the scene where he's like, he has how to build a laser pistol and he's putting it together and, and the main guy's like, that's never going to work, you know, that's just a ripoff. And then he shoots at him and burns a hole in the wall. Right. <laughs> or the part where he orders the book, How to Pick Up Trashy Women. Yes, I remember and that. And yeah, there's a scene where his brother's go running by his room doing something and the, the little kids in there with like eight hookers and stuff. <laughs> right, right. Oh, actually, now that you say that, and I, I always think of that scene where... Um, He's watching the Flintstones on TV, and then Barney starts addressing him directly, asking if his <laughs> yeah. girlfriend's free for dating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was because that. Yeah, that was the uh, the the one of the running gags. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. There. I guess I remember more of that movie than I thought, or at least a lot of the gags. Wow, it's been so long since I've seen it. I should should watch that movie again sometime. Yeah, because it's it's one. It doesn't come around very often. Mm. But everybody kind of saw it because it it goes with I think um. What you were talking about, how in the early 80s, the idea of, like, renting, like, bad movies. Yeah. It came out during that period, and I think everybody saw it, but they don't remember that that was the movie that they saw. Right. They remember a few of the bits from it, and maybe the commercials, mm. but that's it. Yeah. Hmm. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's okay. true, actually. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that, because I can actually remember specifically... I brought this up. Actually, it's funny. I brought this up as a topic of conversation a couple of months ago, and people are like, no, I've never heard of it. And they started bringing off the jokes, and they're like, oh, that thing. Like, they mm -hmm. almost don't recognize it by name. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because there's, there's a bunch of, like, movies that, that I think that happens to, because, like, this one, uh, they fall into a pattern. There was a bunch of movies of this genre with this formula with these characters that came out. So your brain only diff picks out the one or two main ones, and then the rest of them kind of all get turned into a soup. Yeah, it sounds about right. They all kind of just blend together. Yeah. Okay, I could totally see that. Mm -hmm. So that would be my pick for number three, because, again, it represents that idea of, of um, how certain genres come about, how that stuff kind of all gets filed away in your brain in one category and it was genuinely funny because they were willing to do things and go a little bit more into things than a lot of the other films of this style at that time all right then so okay better off dead good picked on okay chad what's your number three um i'm gonna go a bill cliche here but i still love this movie so much is um and it's recognized people will know this when i say it which is uh, plan nine from outer space <laughs> okay. I love that movie. It is really? it is such a piece of junk, but it's so entertaining that I don't care. It's funny because the the film gets this rap of like you know the worst director ever and the worst film ever made. And I don't find that to be true. 
Mm. Because it's entertaining. It moves along in a decent clip. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crappy. I'm not going to even argue that. Mm-hmm. It's it's clunky. The dialogue is terrible. But it's not that you're ever bored with it. Like, you can watch that thing and never at any point go, this is excruciating. I can't sit through this. Mm-hmm. That never <laughs> happens. I mean, I can point to a million films that do that uh, right off the top of my head. There's, a, there's an old film from, I think, 1953 called The, the Mesa of Making the Mesa? The Mesa of Lost Women? Okay, oh, right. The Mesa. It's Mesa. The Mesa. 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 Right. Women, Mesa. Yeah. Unwatchable. Right. Unwatchable. And and you know this thing came out uh, what like a few years later, and it's it's the exact opposite. Yeah, it's terrible, but it's funny. You mm-hmm. laugh at it. Like you get a big group of people watching this thing, and it's a riot. <laughs> you know. Um, and for me, it it, it always uh, I always find it interesting that it really does sort of represent a typical bad. So bad it's good B movie in that mm. the core idea just couldn't be done properly with either the the shortcomings of the director or certainly not the budget, but they just went ahead and did it anyway. Right, right. Hmm. Um, for anyone who's not seen it, it concerns the Plan Nine refers to a plan by aliens to uh, resurrect the dead and have them you know march on the capitals of the world to stop humans from developing. Uh, solar manite or solar night it's a basically a, it's a it's a it's a a way to ignite the sunlight itself mm. <laughs> so of course if humans figure this out they'll blow up the universe because the sunlight goes everywhere right so okay <laughs> right of course naturally <laughs> yeah so uh and of course because there's no money involved it's all you know all the these zombies that get resurrected is like one every couple of weeks so i guess their plan was going to take place over the course of what <laughs> several hundred years i guess i don't know <laughs> they could it's also, only resurrect yeah, it's also one zombie every couple of weeks well come on you don't have the budget for crowds what are you talking about okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> um it's also famously bella lugosi's last movie before he died right yeah mm. um but don't worry, even though he died halfway through the damn thing, it's uh, they they got uh, uh, Ed Wood, the director's wife's chiropractor, to play, to stand in for him for the rest of the movie. And no one noticed. Well, no, he had identical ears, see? That's why he was cast. So if he keep the, the cape up over his face, you, you'll never know. Yeah. Never mind that he was like a few couple of inches taller than Vela goes. He had a completely different body shape and... Right. that's okay mm-hmm. it's okay yeah. like it really okay. is like a, it's ed wood's a very interesting guy because he he was so obsessed and and really legitimately loved filmmaking that it just sort of went beyond his abilities like he wasn't good at it mm-hmm. but that didn't stop him so he just kept cranking these things out he just mm-hmm. liked it so much so you know uh no it's 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 you can easily find this thing now on youtube and anyone who hasn't seen it really should it's it's just fun right know? Mm-hmm. so for me it's like yeah if it, budget aside sometimes the budget actually makes it funny when it's terrible right yeah of course <laughs> and this is a this is this thing's like a poster child for that so <laughs> okay yeah i can see so that. that would be my number three that's a good pick yeah now for number three for me okay i'm gonna pick a movie that's both a cult movie literally um and a movie that probably neither of you have seen Actually, I'm listen. Yeah. I'm guessing you haven't. You might have. Um, I'm mm. going to pick a movie called Kung Fu Cult Master. Mm. Have either of you ever uh, seen it? No, I haven't. Anyway, 
It sounds familiar. It's occasionally found under the name Kung Fu Cult Master. There are versions of it where they actually spelt cult wrong with an O for some reason. So it's apparently about <laughs> like martial arts horses or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and there's also a, well, and there's also its real title, which would be New Heaven Sword and Dragon Saber, which would be the proper Chinese title for it. Um, it's a Hong Kong film starring Jet Li. It came out mid-80s. It's based on a beloved martial arts wuxia uh, epic serial story um, that was about, what, about 70, 80 parts long um, that they condensed down into like two two two-hour movies, except the first one did so badly they didn't make the second one. And so because it's this massive epic serial that they've taken like 30 episodes worth of material and literally episodes, there's a TV version as well, and they've condensed it down to like two hours, maybe give or take, it is batshit insane in its plotting, but it's also incredibly fun. Like, it is the movie that truly made me love kung fu movies like nothing else. I mean, I saw it by accident once, and the plot is... Inherently fairly simple. Um, It's a kung fu movie, which basically means it's about a whole bunch of different martial arts societies that are all at war with each other. And basically two members of these societies, a man and a woman who are the two kind of stars of their martial arts societies, get together and they have a kid. It's a Romeo and Juliet thing. Okay? And they die within the first five minutes of the film. (laughs) (laughs) However, their kid... um, Jiang Wuji, I think his name is, um, actually survives, but he's like crippled because like one of the evil kung fu guys actually hits him and like basically like disrupts his like inner energy and such. So he's completely crippled. He can't do martial arts, and he's basically left in the care of the the father's martial arts society because the mother doesn't give a crap about him and doesn't care, and everyone just wishes he was dead. And so he basically lives his life being completely bullied, and then one day he falls down into a chasm, falls into a cave, and meets a crazy martial arts master who's chained to a boulder. That he can make the boulder fly around or roll and fight with the boulder, never leaving the boulder. He's, his arms and legs are completely chained to this thing. And hmm. this, oh, wow. and he, Wuji tricks the master into like teaching him bizarre kung fu, solar kung fu they call it, which helps to kind of rebalance his system. And then he basically goes on to be become a massive martial artist and gets involved in like the war between all these societies and all sorts of bizarre crap happens and the story moves at like a hundred miles an hour and it's just so over the top so everywhere and i have watched it about 10 times and i love Mm. it every single time i watch it it's just fun it's just pure martial arts fun it's like screw plot let's go for spectacle and awesome martial arts fights (laughs) Well, that seemed to be the approach of those kind of films in the 80s from that country, wasn't it? Like, it was just kind of like, yeah, it gives a rat's ass if this makes sense. Just let's do it. Oh, well, mm. this is actually from the 90s, but... Oh, um, was it? I thought it was the 80s. You no, said. Sorry. I'm pr- sorry if I did. That was I was mistaken. It's mid-90s, not mid-80s. Sorry. Don threw me off with all the <coughs> 80s talk. Um, <laughs> but you're right, actually. I mean, you know, Hong Kong at this point was churning out, like, movies. In the 80s, 90s, 70s, they just churned out martial arts movie after martial arts movie. And most of them sucked. Mm-hmm. Most of them are, they throw a lot in, but this is one of them except that they actually had a budget. That's why the second one was never made, because the first one lost a lot of money. Um, Hmm. And it cost a lot to make by their standard, of course, which means it probably cost a couple million dollars to make, maybe. Um, And Jet Li was unknown. He's the lead in this movie, so you can tell the martial arts fights are good. And... 
yeah, it's just generally uh, just a really fun film. I check. I recommend people actually look it up. Kung Fu Cult Master. You can probably find it. When I was living in Taiwan, it would literally be on about once every two or three months. Because I get the feeling that it's one of those films that even there, it's one, it's a film that when it came out, nobody cared. But since then, it's been, kind of become a beloved cult classic. Oh. Huh. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, so I would watch it when I was in Taiwan. Every now and then, I'd turn it on Sunday afternoon, and bang, there it is. It's like, awesome. And I'd watch it again. I'd sit there and watch it the whole time just because I enjoyed it so much. So, yeah, so my number three would be a literal cult film, Kung Fu Cult Master. And mm. I just, I highly recommend people check it out, like I said, on YouTube. And you can probably find it pretty easy. And you guys should check it out, too, if you get the chance. It's actually, mm. yeah, it's just, it's so over the top and so fast-paced. It's just pure fun in a can, basically. If even You don't right. even have to like martial arts movies. You'll, you'll enjoy it, trust me, on this one. Huh. But is it good? No, not really. <laughs> yeah, but again, is it entertaining? Then, if it's entertaining, then it technically is good. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. But if we're call- but if we're doing that, then wouldn't Star Wars: A New Hope also count? Anyway, uh... <laughs> actually, I considered putting that on my list just for shits and giggles. Actually. <laughs> um... Because it is not a good film. Like, it's a horrible film in terms of many, many elements, yet it's the one of the most entertaining films ever made. True, but at the same time, it's not like the production values on that thing were so terrible that, you know, the, all the X-Wing fighters are on dangly strings. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> or, or during the Death Star, because again, when going back to Chad's number three pick, or during the Death Star run, that they actually just had, like, paper plates they set on fire on the end of a string. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Yeah, Plan 9 is a good choice, I have to. Yeah, yep. All right, uh, yeah, I definitely agree. All right, so... I, sorry? Oh, I was going to say, I got to see that, uh, the, the Kung Fu one. Kung Fu Kung, yeah. I'll send you guys a link. I'll put a link in the show notes. I'm Usually mm. there's a copy of it floating around on YouTube, usually a couple of them, the whole movie, usually. It's not hard to find, because I right. don't think anyone bothers with the copyright for it, just because it's so... Yeah, anyway. All right, so... <laughs> Actually, I don't think the company that made it even exists anymore. I don't. Right. At least I, it probably was bought by someone else, but who who knows if they care about the rights? That's one of the great yeah. things about these movies is they're often very easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Don, how about your number two? What would be your number two for this list? Okay, I know number two is one you're both familiar with, mm-hmm. and um, it's another one I, I I picked this because it's it's not. A good movie but it's so weird and it's so entertaining and it gives you the important piece of advice mm-hmm. that um should you ever find yourself trapped in a block of ice oh. always remember that the number four and number six rockets can be used to escape good Ooh. choice man good choice <laughs> yep of course i'm referring to inferman <laughs> one of the greatest yeah. movies ever it really is actually yeah mm-hmm. it is i agree um it's well, okay, Don, take it away. Tell us why it's an awesome movie. <laughs> well, for anybody who hasn't seen it, it's um, it was a it was a Hong Kong um, I don't know if I homage or ripoff would be the uh, the, the I go with ripoff actually. It was, okay. They were definitely aping <laughs> yeah, the Ultraman seventies you know thing. Yeah, yeah let's it, let's not let's not uh, you know uh, make up <laughs> any excuses here. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to excuse if you've seen it, but. It's it's essentially like um it's called an Ultraman ripoff. It's probably a little closer to a common writer ripoff. That's true. 
even though like they they both it's it's if you've ever seen like a seventies Japanese tokusatsu film, it's 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 that. Mm-hmm. Where Just the, the evil horde Yeah. The evil horde of aliens attack from like the Earth's core. They have like the faceless minions who are like skeleton guys in motorcycle helmets for some reason. Mm-hmm. The uh the secret force good guys ends up they're totally useless. They make the one guy who the the quintessential scientist turns into a super-powered cyborg, and that's Inframan, and then there's a bunch of wacky fight scenes with weird monsters, and shit blows up in the end. Yay! Yep. Does Inframan actually grow to giant size? I can't remember. Yes, he does. Yeah. He does. Yeah. Um, I remember this, and this this, this is why I saw it just before. I had seen an ad for a company called Cosmic Connections. In in an old Marvel comic, right? And Cosmic, can, they they were like uh, late seventies, early eighties. They imported Japanese model kits, mm-hmm. and I remember because we ordered the catalog, because hoping to get a model of the little spider monster guy from Inframan. Because everybody remembers the scene; it's this like chubby forearm spider looking thing, yep. and they fight. And the spider grows huge, and Inframan grows huge, and the spider gets his ass kicked, and he shrinks down. Then there's a scene where he's running, and Inframan like squishes him, and all the green guts come out in it. <laughs> yep. Okay. I doesn't doesn't that. the uh, I seem to recall the spider guy? It looked a lot like something from like the Croft Super Show. Like he had this kind of cartoonishness <laughs> to him. Yeah there there were um there were a few of the monsters in it that they're they're weird hodgepodge of of like tokusatsu series style stuff because the 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 spiders yeah he's kind of like cartoony kid show mascot looking um there's the thing with the lunchbox stuck to its hand which looks more like your inframan common rider type thing there's the weird like robot guys mm-hmm. that look like like um like your giant robo kind of rip off things. There's the obligatory like hot chick in the skimpy outfit kind of thing and mm-hmm. it really it really is this weird mishmash of of stuff. Right. But it's a great mishmash. Yeah, and and, and that's what I enjoy cuz I I'm I'm not looking for plot or nothing. I just want to see weird monsters and strange fights and yeah, this this one's got it. Oh, yes it does. Oh, and and then some, yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, highly recommend it. Isn't also that film no, uh, notable for every time he punches something, there's an explosion or something? Like, I seem to recall something along those lines. Like, they really went overboard with the, the to try to make it dynamic, right? So Yeah. Like, he's just, every, there's lots of explosions for damn near everything, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, that that's, because he's got some kind of, it's like electro punch, and that's what it's supposed to be, is when you hit somebody, it's this. But yeah, you're right, there's just pyrotechnics going off all the... I'll throw this thing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Probably it's kind of that. amazing the, uh, the the studio didn't burn down at some point because of all the <laughs> fireworks going off. <laughs> well, it it might have because like the Hong Kong studios are infamous for not worrying about stuff like that or the safety of their uh, of their actors and that. At least, especially like say back then. Right. I think this was like a late seventies, early eighties one. Yeah. And if I remember right, that was the point where the Shaw brothers were actually really putting a lot of effort into their films and production. Yeah. Because they were trying kind of for an international market. They were they mm-hmm. thought, okay, maybe we can push this beyond China. And so for a while there they they put a lot of money and effort into their films. Not that they didn't before they did this weird cycle where every where they'd go cheap and then they'd 
make a lot of money and so they'd go expensive and then they'd have a few losers and they'd go cheap again and they kind of went back and forth. And that was yeah. one of their more expensive films. It might have even been their most expensive film. I'm not sure. Yeah, because when oh, you okay. watch... Yeah, it, it doesn't look cheap. Um, it's hindered from its its time. But yeah, there's a lot of elaborate sets. They do a lot of like outdoor shots for it. There's a load of different costumes. It's just, it's so... It's got more enthusiasm than talent, I think, would be the uh, way to sum it up. <laughs> yeah. Right. And and so, see, right there, you touched on something that was kind of um, critical. Now, imagine someone redid this thing nowadays and made it really slick. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have that same feel mm. that the original has. Right. There's almost yeah. like a sort of a guerrilla filmmaker kind of vibe to that thing, which makes it work. Mm-hmm. You know, you made it. If you made it too, made too much sense and made it look a little too slick, it would lose a lot of what makes it so wonderful. Right. Yeah. 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 No, I totally agree. It only works again because of the whole men in suit and the whole like weird enthusiasm and hodgepodge. That's what makes it work. Yeah. I also, I I haven't seen it in a while too. Like, also, doesn't it move along at this insane pace? Like, oh, yeah. okay, you're in for man now. Oh, there's some bad guys. Go get them. <laughs> well, yeah. He, what? Sorry. Go. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, he gets turned into Inframan while the bad guys are actually attacking the base. Yeah. Right. And so he literally pops out while all his friends are dying. And yeah. um, then starts just kicking ass. And it kind of goes from there. Yeah, it, it it's sort of... We, we'd always wondered if it had if it was a TV series. Because it feels like somebody took um, mm-hmm. a tokusatsu show, took all the fight scenes out, stuck them together, and then tried to wrap a plot around it to make, explain why you're watching all the fight scenes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's exactly what it feels like. It's like they took a whole season of a show and just condensed it down into like two into two hours of episode or two hour movie. Yeah, and it's yeah, it does feel that way. It totally, it's like yeah, we got to get all the monster fights and everything, but we're not going to bother with the episodes. We're just going to show the monster fights. Yeah, nobody cares about the story anyway. Well, except there is kind of a story. Like they'll literally they'll defeat a monster, and then it'll be like a couple weeks have passed or something. Like everyone's gone into downtime and is relaxed, and there'll be the start mm-hmm. of like, oh, here comes little Billy and his friends, and they're oh, they're here. We'll show you around the science center, and then suddenly the monsters attack again. It's like weren't the yeah. monsters just there? Why did why did you invite these kids to come over? <laughs> it literally is like there was a whole series, and they just chopped it down. But there was no series, at least as far as I know, anyway. Yeah. Or maybe there was supposed to be, and then that's what they did. They just took the pieces of what was supposed to be a series and slapped them together. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe it's just a homage to those types of series. But, okay. See, I, I think it's I think it's what you just literally said. They they looked at something like Ultraman and went, and the, like the Sentai stuff from Japan, mm-hmm. and went, eh, we'll do a movie version of it. And they literally just took that, that formula, mm. stripped it down, and went, eh, make a two-hour version of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. probably. I think that's why it has that that feel, as you say, that TV feel. Mm. Yeah, because they were they were literally copying the formula verbatim. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I could totally see sense. that. So in a, in a way, it's very similar to Kung Fu Cult Master, then, where they've taken something that's much longer, condensed it down, and that's why it has the weird frantic pace. And there, you're just kind of getting a highlight reel in some ways of what would normally be a whole long series, mm. right? Yeah, well, in this case, I think what it is, it's the opposite of that. They take something that's actually normally shorter and went, eh, we'll just string a bunch of them together and then, that's true. you know, <laughs> run it as a whole story. 
<laughs> and throwing a monster with a lunchbox stuck to his hand. <laughs> right, exactly. All right, so Chad, what's your number two? Uh, well, my number two also comes from uh, out east. Uh, it's the uh, actually, I'm, it's it's funny. I bring this up in lieu of the new King Kong movie just coming out because my second uh, choice is the uh, Japanese uh, North American co-production King Kong Escapes. Oh, yes, the 1967 um, film that was kind of roughly based on uh, a Rankin Bass animated cartoon of this. Uh, of King Kong mm-hmm. that had come out. Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's almost like watching a really surreal live action cartoon. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny that it has that as a source material because it feels like one, even right down to the uh, English dub. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the main bad guy, Dr. Who, no, no relation. Um, <laughs> or is there? Dun, 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 dun. Is yep. voiced by Paul Fries, who is a who's a cartoon voice actor. In fact, most notably known for voicing the uh, the character Boris Badenov from uh, mm-hmm. uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. In fact, he sounds exactly like that. So Boris Badenov is now an Asian guy that is trying to you know abduct Kong <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> right. It is surreal, um, and the Kong suit is awesome. Um, it's like I describe it to people who've never seen the film as. They went to someone who's never seen a gorilla and then gave them a verbal description of what one is. Mm-hmm. And then he just made the suit based off that. Like, it's it's this weird, sharp-toothed, glassy-eyed thing that... Uh... <laughs> yeah, it is. It doesn't look real in the slightest. <laughs> no, and that's what makes it awesome. It's, it's you know, it's, it's kind of ratty-looking. Uh, he fights his mechanical uh, opposite. There's a giant robot Kong, Mechanicong, yeah. that he fights. Mechacong, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. It's really fun. It, it's just again, it, it it moves along with this this really nice clip, you know. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the, even the plot, they want to abduct Kong to get him to mine for uh, Element X. Yes, which is a mm-hmm. a radioactive isotope that uh, that they can they hypnotize him to to, to dig for it. It's, and he's sitting there literally hammering his fist into this giant glowing rock, this blue giant glowing rock of of uh, of this Element X. It's it's really nuts. Right. This thing. Which leads you know, to the question, um, why did it, didn't just get Mechacong to mine it for them? Oh, well, they try earlier in the movie, but the radiation levels overwhelm it and it short circuits. Oh, okay. Well, there we go. See, they thought it all out. They right? did think it out. Okay. <laughs> the, that the obvious question was actually answered. Yes. So, no, it's, it's great. And, uh, you know, Kong, it's funny. I also tell people Kong in this movie is like, I describe him. If you were to remake the movie mm-hmm. and instead of a giant gorilla, you had a giant drunken hillbilly with a heart of gold, the film would be identical. <laughs> right. Like that's his character in a nutshell. Right. Like he's just kind of this well-meaning giant dope that, you know, is easily influenced. And, uh, cause he takes orders from people like the, the, the Fay Ray stand in character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this, this, uh, character named Susan Watson. Um, mm-hmm. she's like a military uh, nurse and she just orders him around and just does it. It's not, right. you know, they're not mm. trying to do the subtle, is he actually an animal? No, he's a cartoon character. It's fine. Mm. <laughs> huh? Oh, you know, and then the typical thing, the movie concludes with like a big fight between Kong and Mechanicong in, in Tokyo. Cause right. of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, of course, just, it's just a wonderful little movie. You can actually find it online if you kind of look around, but, uh, highly recommended. Don't go in expecting, you know, um, Peter Jackson's King Kong or the original King Kong, or even that 1976 <laughs> King Kong, or 1975, <laughs> sorry. Just just have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, then That's I think I should continue with the trend. Um, and I'm going to pick a movie that I know both of you know very, very well. Um, and this one holds a special place in my heart because it was probably the first kaiju movie I ever watched. And oh. um, it's actually, you know, it's still one of the ones that holds a special spot somewhere anyway. Um, and the answer is Godzilla vs. Megalon. Ah, um, yes. <laughs> you know, of, the, of the Godzilla movies, it is probably, it's not the best, and it's not the worst, I would argue, either. But it is definitely mm. one of the most entertaining. Mm. Um, the plot, <laughs> if I recall right, is something, if you can call it that, is something to the effect that um, our heroic inventor is making his super robot... And then these agents from an undersea kingdom called Cetopia show up and they want to steal it so they can turn it into a uh, humanity-destroying monster, basically. Hmm. And, of course, the, the, the super robot I'm talking about is Jet Jaguar, an Ultraman uh, clone. We'll call him an Ultraman clone and be nice about hmm. it. Because basically <laughs> the movie is Godzilla meets Ultraman. That's really what it is. It's, hmm. it, it's Godzilla meets Ultraman, which is probably one of the reasons I like it so much. And eventually, you know, they... They do take control of Jet Jaguar, but then you know Godzilla steps in, and then the bad guys summon up more monsters from outer space just because. And there's a giant, you know, tag team monster match that has rarely been beaten. Mm. Uh, and at least that's that's my synopsis of the film. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just fun. There's just so many just fun, weird little bits to it. I mean, I think it's also one of the most popular MST3K episodes of all time too, <laughs> for a very good reason. Yeah. Just for the song. <laughs> yep. For the but I think they ran into some sort of legal problem with it. Like, there was a DVD set that came out with that film, and they immediately had to pull it. So if you have that thing, mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a rare item now, because yeah. Toho immediately, like, clamped down on it. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if, if I remember correctly what it was, and this is a problem that's come up with a lot of the old, uh, like, 60s and 70s uh, kaiju films. Mm. The Mystery Science Theater guys, from what I understand, they had the rights to the English version from the 70s. Mm -hmm. And they thought that that extended in perpetuity. But when they when they put out their version of it on disc, Toho immediately, like, slammed down on it because they didn't have... They, 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 the, the company that had the rights to the English version, I guess, since they're not around anymore, I think it was AIP. Mm -hmm. um, it was. Yeah, the rights didn't extend. They didn't, like, that version is now legally a non entity. So that's why they had to pull it. Oh. Right. Okay, that makes sense. So there, there's really no one who owns the rights. So they default back to Toho, and Toho's yeah. like, hell no. Okay. And because some of the <laughs> other ones, like, um, I think the early, uh, the the first like four or five Gamera films, mm -hmm. the um the English versions of them are counted as like a separate film, and those are are public domain or somebody somewhere still owns those, and that's why they keep popping up anytime you see those like fifty horror monster movies for ten buck DVD sets. Right? Yeah, that would make the, sense. Yeah, the Gamera ones are on them because the rights to at least the first like three or four of them mm -hmm. are counted as a different thing. Those English film versions of them are still available. Mm. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. In fact, I think there is an actual committed MST3K Gamera box set. Yes, oh, there wow. is. Yeah. Yeah. So you can have all of them. 
in one shot. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. If you can take Got, it. Um, I was going to say, Rob, did you know that um, uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon actually started out as a, a completely independent Jet Jaguar movie? No, I did huh. not know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea was to put out a film called Jet Jaguar vs. Megalon. That was what the it started as. And mm-hmm. what happened is is that as the film sort of progressed in its development stage, I guess the, the suits got worried of, of, you know, oh, are we going to be able to support a proper movie with you know, a new character essentially. Right. Mm-hmm. And they sort of got, they got sort of cold feet about it and then immediately in a rush, like rewrote the thing to put Godzilla in it. That's why he kind of awkwardly just shows up yeah, halfway yeah. through the thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just suddenly pops up about halfway to two thirds of the film and just suddenly, Hey, yeah. hey, hey guys, I'm here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's literally, gosh, you sure could use some help here. Oh, Hey, there's Godzilla. Hey, Godzilla <laughs> come over here. Exactly. Well, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't Jet Jaguar fly to Godzilla and then like talk him into coming. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yes, he does. Yeah. And, but it and is then, awkward though. It is. Really it is. Kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. Cause like he finds God, you're like, what was Godzilla doing there? And then Monster Island. Fly, yeah. Does that where he went? I can't. Yeah, I think it's Monster Island. Island. Yeah. I think that's, I think it is. Or Ogasawara hmm. Island or whatever it is. Yeah. They, yeah. Cause they send him there because they know that the bad guys are like, coming or is it i think megalon's already been unleashed and they don't think jet jaguar yeah. can do it by himself so they send him they said we're going to reprogram him and send him off to fly to you know monster island and get godzilla mm-hmm. oh yes it is actually i just double checked it on wikipedia just now that's exactly what happens yep yeah okay, okay. they send him to monster island so there you they go they send him to monster and... island say godzilla please come help and when i was a kid that blew my mind yeah like there's a monster island filled with like all monsters <laughs> that are as cool as godzilla oh my god <laughs> No, this was, oh, it's, so oh, you clearly saw this thing before uh, Destroy All Monsters. Then. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely. I saw this. I told you, this is the first Godzilla film I ever saw. Mm-hmm. This is technically right. the first full kai, mm-hmm. kaiju film I ever saw. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, this this was my first, and you always love your first. It's just one of those <laughs> things. Um, well, or Even at least remember you... your first. Sometimes you don't love them anymore, <laughs> but, you do, but you do remember them anyway. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's funny too because you can really see the sort of the Ultraman influence they were yeah. trying to go for, like especially with yeah. Um, Megalon. Yeah, like Megalon really is kind of a Power Rangers type monster. Like mm-hmm. you know, he's like a bug, but he's kind of like basically a guy in a, a human like proportions and right. with a bug head, and then he's got these functional drill arms. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you compare that to the other monsters in like the the Godzilla universe, and they're mm-hmm. not quite as batshit insane as that. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Definitely, and then they summon Gigan and everything, which is also batshit yeah. insane. And they, mm-hmm. it's one of those things where no, I think that it came out during the period when Ultraman was like the hottest thing ever, because there was a period during like yeah. the '60s where Ultraman was like the guy in Japan. Basically, he was the character, and I think that was mm-hmm. done to capitalize on that. Okay. Oh, totally. But I, but I love the explanation in the movie of like Jet Jaguar becoming giant size. And I remember oh. in the MST3K oh, version, yeah. they you know, oh he he grew to giant size to help out, and they're like, well, that's just as good as a reason as any. <laughs> I thought they said he reprogrammed himself to grow to giant yeah. size. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, that's a good explanation. <laughs> oh, yep. He reprogrammed himself to grow to giant size and everything. And then there's the whole sequence with the kid on that stupid thing on the in the lake when it opens up oh. and like. The whole rescue the kids sequence. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason, I always remember that. Like the dam breaks and the kid, and that kid on that stupid floating duck dolphin thing. Dolphin thing. Yeah. yeah. It's like a dolphin, dolphin thing. thing. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. 
but there's something about that movie. It literally is the, the it's literally a giant monster wrestling movie. There's no other way to describe yeah. it. It's a wrestling match with giant monsters. Pretty much. And I, it's I, even got a ring. Remember, he creates the ring of fire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's yeah liter- true. There's literally a ring. It takes place in open field, <laughs> not a city or anything like that. It's just this, because there's no budget for that. I mean, so yeah. it's just literally ring, a ring of fire. And then they're fighting it out in the ring of fire. And it's, oh. And, of course, remember Jet Jaguar? Oh, Jet Jaguar gives Godzilla a piggyback ride and mm-hmm. uh, to fly him around yeah, and everything. That's right. Well, no, he, he does it specifically to get him out of the ring of fire, which Godzilla is afraid of suddenly for some reason. Despite being right. a fire of monster. I don't know. Really, what they needed was another monster to show up. It was like this giant black and white striped monster that was like a referee. Right. (laughs) The Dada from uh, Ultraman. Yeah, there we go. That would have been perfect. See, that's that's a good pick, too, because Godzilla versus Megalon, yeah, there's a touch of the Ultraman influence. Um, Just a touch. There there was another show called Jumborg Ace. Mm Mm-hmm. That's really reminiscent of uh, Jet Jaguar, and I don't know which one came first. But it's oh. it, it it's also too that movie came out at the time, like we'd said before that um, with the the Japanese like Tokusatsu Ultraman esque TV shows, you could tell they were at that point where they weren't sure: do we want these shows to be kid shows? Are we going to move on to make them grown up shows? And I think again, you do get some of that in like the Godzilla versus Megalon. Mm, yeah, and and then right after this, wasn't that when they did like the uh, the last couple of Godzilla films, which are like the super dark, super gruesome, like uh, Mecha Godzilla ones? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, and it 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 does seem reminiscent of that idea that in that era they they weren't they they were at that point where the audience had changed and mm. they weren't sure which way to go with them. Yeah. I could say that. Yeah, because in, in Japan, that movie, uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon, uh, I think was the first one to sell less than a million tickets. Like, it didn't do that great. Mm-hmm. It did better here in North America by comparison. Yeah. Right. And I think maybe that's why, Don, they, they switched over to go a little darker in uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Right. Which I seem to recall was the first movie where Godzilla bled. Was it the like, first? On screen. I think it was. Yeah, it oh. could be, because there was a certain point where they got really bloody for a while there, and that's probably it, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. that was the one with uh, Godzilla Tower, wasn't it? Yes. I think so, yes. Yeah, because yes. that was, that that was, that was the first, because that was, yeah, they that 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 was gruesome, and then the uh, the Terror of Mecha Godzilla, where you saw them, like, split open the guy's, like, that scientist guy's daughter, and you saw the parts and, like, meat bits and stuff, and... <laughs> Mm. And then, and then that was like the end of Godzilla for a little bit. Pretty much. Uh, yeah, that's right. It, it just—I think the one after that was Godzilla's Revenge, the uh, which was definitely aimed strictly at kids. Yep, I believe kid filler. Yeah. And then, of course, we'd get Godzilla nineteen eighty four, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and that was, and that was again. That was like almost ten years later. Yeah, yeah. They took they took a break. The seventies for some reason the the giant stuff like Godzilla and Ultraman in the Japan basically took a break. Like for some reason yeah. the seventies was just not the era for giant stuff. They kind of I guess maybe got sick of it or whatever. And so mm-hmm. that was the yeah. era where you got you get tons of Kamen Rider stuff. Kamen Rider is a part yeah. of the seventies. But the the giant stuff tended to take a break for a bit. You know what might have happened too? 
Um, cause the 70s were also the era of the super robot for, for animation. Mm. And it might have been that in a weird Fred Wortham kind of way, the idea of like giant monsters fighting kind of got fudged into strictly kid stuff. Mm, it's true. And then it became like the super robot. And then in the 80s, that shifted back over because again, the new audience gets older. And then it becomes like a more mature audience thing. But right. Yeah, I can see that. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move along then. So, Don, what is your number one? My number one bad movie. That now this is I included for a um, a reason because it sort of highlights that movies that you love can mean a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. And this is one that I, I don't necessarily love, but I find it to be like this absolutely bizarre almost Zen Koan-esque cultural artifact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you sound nervous. <laughs> I am nervous. I'm getting scared here, man. <laughs> so my number one horrible film that I have to technically say I love, or at least are obsessed with, is, of course, the greatest film ever made, the oh. Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh. oh, you bastard, you worked it in. Yes, I did. <laughs> so this whole show was all a plot just to get the Star Wars Star Wars special in. Maybe. No. Well, no, I want to talk about other bad movies, too. Technically, that's not a movie, man. That is a TV special. That does not count. You have to come up with something else. No, it's a movie. If I had to said, um, if I had to said, don't be afraid of the dark or Frankenstein, the true story, that would count. And they're TV movies. That's true, right, and, and the... uh, well, I mean, admittedly, the thing drags on, uh, it feels like the length of the movie, because... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's okay, 90 minutes. Okay. <laughs> it's, it, it's 90 minutes. Um, I, 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 I'm reminded of one review that may, they uh, had the statement, you can never get enough Harvey Corman, but this comes close. <laughs> <laughs> because, and again, it's, it's, it's that bizarre thing where, you're right, it drags, but... It's this weird, like, baton death march of a film because it's horrible, it's horrible pace, but you can't look away. Yeah, I was about mm-hmm. to say, though, it's a little different than the stuff that we've been talking to up until this point, which is bad but entertaining. This thing is not mm-hmm. entertaining, but there's this, as you say, there's like a train wreck quality where you can't turn away from it. Like, you're <laughs> you're almost stuck watching right. this damn thing going, well, it can't get any worse, and then it does. And you're like, okay, well, now it's not going to get any worse, and then it does again, and you're kind of going, I should just shut up and watch this thing. You know? right. <laughs> and, and that's a great, and it's, it's um well, um <laughs> for those of you who may not have seen it, um the premise of the story is that Wookiee Life Day is coming up, and they're trying to get Chewbacca home to his family. And, and that's right off the bat, you know, you're in for a problem because most of it takes place on Kashik and most of it's Chewbacca's family and none of it's subtitled. So mm-hmm. probably a good, like, two thirds of the movie, the dialogue is all, and you're like, okay, fantastic. That's great. Um, yeah. And if, I was going to say, if you thought, like, you know, Chewbacca's homeworld mimicked, like, a sort of a, a, a 70s sitcom, you'd be right. <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs> And it's and it's weird too because it's it's um there's a lot of stuff in this movie that kind of weasels its way into the mythos because Kashik looks a lot like Endor mm-hmm. that in a lot of ways it looks like a prototype for the, how the Ewok village works and such 
Um, this is, of course, the first appearance of Boba Fett. Yep. yep. Chewbacca's family are canon. Like they they've shown up in other things in some of the um the the post uh Return of the Jedi novels. I think it's like Chewbacca's cousin is actually goes to the Jedi Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you never see a Death Squad trooper with a porn stash anywhere else, though. Ooh, is <laughs> that? Um, they don't use Jefferson Starship to take down the Empire, a la Macross, like they do in this movie at one point. <laughs> oh my God, it's the worst thing humanity's ever done. Um. But if you're a it, Star Wars fan, yes. No, if you're not a Star Wars fan, this will definitely make sure you never watch a Star Wars anything ever. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty torturous. I'm amazed that like you know like the uh, the United Nations doesn't ban this damn thing. Like it's <laughs> it's pretty mind boggling. It it is because Lucas disavowed all knowledge. Right, of course he did. Not and, just Lucas; everyone did. Like I remember, yeah. um, what's her name, Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher. For years, was like there was no holiday special. We talking about. <laughs> Yeah, but that she never might, existed. She might not remember because she looks kind of toked up during oh, her parts of this. That's because she was. Yeah, and it's it's <laughs> the, it's the same thing when you see Mark Hamill. Uh, mm. Mark Hamill looks like he's trying out for a glam band, but it's just after his motorcycle accident. <laughs> so he's he's like super makeuped up because he still right. had some of the uh, the the injuries in that. And it's one of them. I find it fascinating just because. And um, looking at Star Wars and Star Wars everything, it's so anomalous. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things I've always wanted to know, why did it happen? Mm-hmm. Because, cause again, Lucas was, was uh, at that time too, he was pretty tight-fisted about the, the Star Wars setting. And how did this... And then I'd love to know the, the story behind bits. Like, I'd love to know... At what point did somebody go, you know what would be great? People loved the cantina scene in the original film, but it was missing B. Arthur doing a musical number. <laughs> and then all the other people, went, yes, Bob, that's exactly what that movie was. It would be huge. It would be bigger if only they had. And I'd love to know the story behind all of that. because, And this is where I say, like, it's a fascinating thing, even though it's it's horrifying as entertainment. Because it's so off the beam, and and there's so little said about it. Right. You, you want to know why, why, dear God, why? Okay, I can see your points on all of those. I mean, um, I, from what I from what little I've read about the sort of its its creation was, um, from what I understand, Lucas he had some rules that he gave them and said, okay. You have to follow these, but and then didn't really kind of pay attention to it. Maybe that's it just got away from him. Like, you know, yeah. it's entirely possible. Even the network was like, "Don't worry, we have the best writers we have available," which may have been true. Mm-hmm. Just you don't put them on this thing, but you know, they would have been perfect for you know. Here's a, here's a, just a suggestion. I don't know if this lines up time wise or such, but not too long after Star Wars came out, Lucas's marriage like hit the rocks. Mm-hmm. And oh. that was one of the reasons why he wasn't involved, really, with Empire Strikes Back. I mean, he's barely involved with that film. He basically <laughs> just hired other people and said, yeah, here's an outline, go make it. Okay. And mm. it's because he was literally in the middle of his divorce at that point. It was a messy, nasty divorce, if I remember reading right. Mm-hmm. So I think those things don't come out of the woodwork. It's entirely possible that he was already having problems when the holiday special came out. 
Yeah. And so that's why he might have actually just said, yeah, okay, here, just here's your guidelines, just go do something with it. But but even... Maybe even he needed the money. Could, yeah, because even just the pitch, and then the thing that makes it so strange mm-hmm. is that it's the first appearance of Boba Fett. Yeah. And... And that's that. That's a big deal. Like he was kind of big reveal from the next movie, and the 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 uh, the action figure was one of the first like big marketing things that they had done. And everybody's and and the 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 part where they introduce him, it's it's an animated it's an animated feature. It's like a little ten minute mini film, and it's yeah. so not yeah. It's not like the rest of the show because it's actually like a film with a little story and things happen and. And it doesn't really make any more sense than the rest, but there's there's a structure to it. And you're like, well, how did that get thrown in right in the middle of everything else? Yeah, and that's it's also its Canadian connection because that was done by uh, uh, Nelvana Studios. Yep. Yeah. And then because because <laughs> they later got the droids and the Ewoks after Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. Did you know anyone who actually worked on that, Chad? Uh, no, I don't actually, I, I, I actually, I knew people that worked on the other two series that you knew, that you mentioned, but not that one specifically that, that, cause that was done like right at the beginning of that studio's inception. So yeah, they'd only done a couple of, uh, of sort of holiday specials at that point, but, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually, you can see it on YouTube and it's actually funny to watch because, um, the way they handled R2D2, R2D2 is like made of jello in that thing. Like he's yeah. not like this. He's not a robot. He's just there, this gelatinous thing that kind of squishes and, <laughs> and stretches, and his head comes off. It's really odd. Really, really odd. Right. <laughs> Completely unlike the rest of the uh, holiday special. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> hey, maybe that was a secret <laughs> mandate. We really got to make this thing screwy, so do what you can. Yeah. Well, they did their best. Yeah, yeah, that is, it's, it's weird. Best. I don't know, like, it's, it's, I, I actually, here's a question for you, Don. Did you see mm-hmm. that when it first aired? Yes, I do. I have really, because, um, I have really vivid memories of, of watching it as a kid, because I was excited, and, um, we had, I had, like, a great aunt and uncle that were visiting from Nova Scotia at the time, and we were all sitting around waiting for this thing to happen, and I remember even, even as, like, a, a seven-year-old kid watching this going, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> yep. See, I saw it on TV as well, and uh, I'm mm-hmm. trying to remember. I think we were actually at some. It's like a friend's of my parents' house. I was just my brother and I watching this thing, kind of you know, in their living room. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I just kind of remember the cartoon, and I remember the uh, Chewbacca's son's uh, toy's head getting ripped off by a stormtrooper. Like the, yeah. the, his stuffed toy got destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, that's all I kind of remember. It's funny that my brain actually blocked out a lot of it. <laughs> Probably as a defense mechanism, but the, it was only years later about the, the, the <laughs> B. Arthur thing. I was like, oh yeah, B. Arthur was in this. I, I kind of didn't remember that, you know. Because so. they were they were planning they were planning to do uh, like action figures and that from it. Were they really? Yeah, because you can find online they had prototypes for uh, Chewbacca's family that were basically slightly re-sculpted and repainted figures. And I think um, Lumpy, the, the kid, was the kid from the Adventure People that they had puttied over and kind of wookied, like, wookied him up a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, there were there were definitely, like, like I say, it's, it's part of the whole Star Wars phenomenon. It was, it looks like it, at some point they intended to make it, 
official. And then I don't know. And I'm wondering too, maybe was it originally planned as something different? Yeah, it's hard. to. Well, you know what the whole thing felt like to me when, uh, you know, having revisited it years and years and years later, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like the network had something, which was Star Wars, that they didn't quite know what to do with. And so they just plugged their, their TV sitcom formula into it or variety yeah. show thing and went, oh, I'm sure it'll be fine. You know, um, it's like sewing wings onto a dog and throwing it off a roof going, <laughs> I'm sure it'll fly. Yeah, because that, that pretty much. Yeah, because the, the, that, that kind of holiday special during the, the, the 70s, that was a thing. Um, they did that like every like actor and, and singer and that they would do a show like that, mm-hmm. but it it just seems so weird. Um, I'd always thought maybe that was because uh, studios didn't want to touch Star Wars when when Lucas was pitching it. Maybe that was part of like the deal that they figured. Well, we got the sets. We'll get like one of these holiday specials out of it, and that'll help recoup our losses or something. Yeah, it's quite possible. Mm-hmm. Because remember, it was the most godmassive popular thing ever at yeah. that time. Like literally, people lost their minds for Star Wars at that point. Yeah, I, I almost think too that like because as you mentioned, how it, it it actually is like technically they they actually said no 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 it's all technically part of that universe. Like you know mm-hmm. we're not going to say that it was just this fever dream. No no, and <laughs> I, I can't help but think that that was because of Boba Fett. Yeah, mm. like Boba Fett was literally the linchpin of them begrudgingly going. Fine, it's part of it. <laughs> but again, I only rem- sorry to interrupt, but for for me, I only remember watching it because of the whole Boba Fett thing. Mm-hmm. I knew that they were introducing Boba Fett because I think the commercial started before the holiday special or something like that. Anyway, yeah. as a kid, I remember being aware of Boba Fett. It's like this is going to be the first appearance of this like new major Star Wars character. Yeah, and so that's why I watched. Well, yeah, because when he shows up in Empire Strikes Back, I remember specifically as a kid going. Hey, it's that guy from that cartoon part of the uh, of the special. Mm-hmm. Like I had a vivid memory of that, you know, going, "Oh, it's him." Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Oh, no, I believe <laughs> it. I think, and so I think that that's one of the reasons why it's you're right, Don. It's stuck because of Boba Fett. Cause yeah, it's his first official appearance. And then, and then the question is, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, that must have been part of the deal, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if they were promoting Boba Fett to the point where we six-year-old or whatever kids, six, seven, eight-year-old kids, knew about him and knew about the Star Wars holiday special tie-in and such, that must have been part of a, part of a whole campaign that was yeah. going on. And so if that was part of the whole campaign, then obviously a lot of money had been invested into this, and yeah, they kind of had to make it work. Mm-hmm. It was part of a plan, I guess. I just like the idea that, like, if Boba Fett's part of, like, now that that's part of the universe, that somewhere in Star Wars, and maybe this is something you could put in one of the new movies coming out, that, you know, there's a race of aliens that are based around Julia Child, and those need to come back in. <laughs> and and porn stash troopers and Wookiee porn and all kinds yeah. of stuff like and, that. And, and the Julia Child uh, aliens, despite being all female, have to be played by male comedians, right? <laughs> Okay, then. <laughs> well, yeah, because it was Harvey Corman playing uh, this four armed Julia Child parody, right? So I'm like, mm, well, right. technically those are canon now, so. Uh, <laughs> right. Get on that Disney Star Wars. <laughs> and, that's, yeah. and that's kind of my hope is now that Disney owns it, that someday we'll get an official release of the holiday special. 
I wouldn't hold your breath. Restored, full like range sound. Oh, I don't know. You know, there's something about watching the the crappy, you know, um, you know, bootleg that was created from the few people that had VCRs back then, mm-hmm. where you get to watch like the commercials with it. Yeah, you know, like well, that's actually part of the fun of that thing. Yeah, and, mm, true. And to that end, I recommend anyone who wants to see it get the Riff Tracks version. Um, oh wow, the, they did a Riff Tracks of that thing. Yeah, the comments help. And they they used the version that had the ads, so they make fun of the ads too, and that helps a lot as well. Wow. <laughs> yes, I seem to recall there was some ad for a news broad, like there was a news thing saying something about a Russian spy being mm-hmm. being uh, arrested or something or some sort. Of, yeah, it's just oh, it's it's funny to watch that. Now my my favorite part from the Rift Tracks ad was Chrysler forty percent less jive than Ford. <laughs> But you have to see the ad. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. All right, Doc. Finally gotten out of your system. Are you happy now? <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> For a year and a half, you finally managed to get the holiday special onto our show. Yep. And now I would like to announce the campaign to have a restored version put on DVD. We'll have, yeah. we'll have to get like Disney Home Video's email so people can email them in demanding this. Well, there you go. I'm sure all five people that listen to this show will definitely write in and help support your campaign, Don. You know, sadly, Don, there's probably a bigger campaign to also just wipe that thing off the earth, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but we just have to say it'll make Lucas unhappy and everybody like, what, Lucas? That's that Jar Jar Binks making up guy, right? Fuck that guy. Well, there we go. There we go. Make it happen, people. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> moving right along. Um, so, Chad, what's your number one? My number one. Uh, it's funny because you mentioned uh, your your martial arts pick uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one is also a martial arts movie. Um, really? Yes. Now, I actually managed to see this thing in the theater. Not in its obviously in its first run because the film is back. Uh, it's an '80s martial arts movie. Um, uh-huh. But it, it got a it got a showing here in Toronto um, about ten years ago in a rep theater, and I watched this thing. Some friends just said, "Oh, we're gonna go see this thing. It looks really crazy." I'm like, oh, "Okay." So I went along, and boy, they that was an understatement. What they just said. Um, this is a film uh-huh. called uh, uh, Taoism Drunkard, or AKA Drunken Wu Tang. Um, right. It I don't is, think I've seen that one. Dude, it is one of the most batshit crazy bananas things <laughs> I've ever watched as a martial arts movie. Like, I, it's hard to describe it. Um, I'll, I, I wrote down a, a sort of... Um, okay, so here's what I wrote down as, as the plot goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the main, in air quotes, story involves the <laughs> bucktooth title character, Ratface, who accidentally breaks a sacred statue and is sent on a quest to find a virgin boy born on the 15th of August. He locates a young man who fits said qualification that, along with his grandmother, protect a sacred scroll of some sort, which is sought by the villainous old devil, a.k.a. Master Ruthless. I don't know what the scroll does exactly. It's The film is pretty nuts. Now, I read that to you guys and go, and you're probably thinking, well, that doesn't sound that crazy. The film mm. is nuts. Like, okay. the, way, the way Ratface destroys this temple is that he's driving along in this bizarre, it's like a giant rat car. Uh-huh. <laughs> And he's drunk off his ass inside it, and he runs over a statue. That yes, that, right. you know, um, there's a weird the, the 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 scroll that I mentioned is guarded by what can be best described as a black colored Pac-Man monster with razor sharp teeth that attacks people that try to get the scroll. 
Uh huh. Um, <laughs> you know, the one of the the grandmother character has a, a tendency to use oversized, and we're talking like comedically oversized weapons, like a giant sword that's the size of a car. Right. Like, and mm. looks like it's made out of paper mache. Like, it's mm. there's like no budget on this thing. <laughs> like, it's the bad guy uses a his weapon of choice is this basketball sized metal sphere that he can ricochet mm-hmm. around the room and open up to reveal smaller spheres that can bounce around the room. Like, it's really nuts. I'm not even doing it justice. You have to go look this thing up on, on YouTube. It is there. I will. And <laughs> Okay, I will, definitely. You got me. You <laughs> see, like, the use of, like, dummies, like, prop dummies, like, every so often, which is great. Like, a character gets thrown against the wall, it's clearly a dummy, but it's edited <laughs> in a way that, like, it's fast enough you pick up on it, but they, you know, immediately the character just snaps to attention because within a cut. But it makes it amazing. Like, and it's got, like, no budget. Um, mm-hmm. I describe it, it's like the cartoon fever dream of a 10-year-old put to film using the kid's fifth-grade schoolmates covering the production duties. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> how it's, But it's a lot of fun, and it's just relentless in its pace. Like, it just, right. it just, it's just running, 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 running. Uh, and the fights are actually fun. Like, that's the biggest thing mm-hmm. about this thing. It's crazy, but it's a lot of fun to watch. And and like again, much like um, King Kong uh, escapes, it's like watching a cartoon in live action. It just happens to have this martial arts arts bend to it. Like it's really really nuts. And uh, anyone who it's it's I've actually tried to look for this thing on DVD. It's hard mm-hmm. to find. Like it exists, really but you got to kind of dig around for it. So uh, it's been one of my little white whales of uh, you know, of things I'm trying to track down. I'd love to have a DVD copy of this thing. Hmm. Right. But yeah, like I can't do it justice. You're gonna to have to go look it up, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Right. Huh. Okay. It really is much okay. like it's just much like like Plan Nine. It was like the ideas were bigger than the budget, and they didn't care. They just right. kind of ran forward <laughs> and said, "Screw it, we're gonna do it anyway." You know. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. That's actually, I will definitely look that up. That sounds entertaining. Oh, so it is. <laughs> Some of it does sound familiar. I might have seen it like a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And, we might see it on TV, probably. Yeah, I mean the, the the movie starts off with the the bad guy trying to get this scroll. It's like a flashback, and he flashes back mm-hmm. to why he doesn't have um, fingerprints. Mm-hmm. And the reason is is when he when years back when he tried to get the scroll the first time, they they uh, punished him by putting him on a, a metal chair with his hands flat on this burning hot slide and they just push him down it as his hands burn off like it's it's <laughs> oh, it's crazy this film <laughs> wow huh. but there is this kind of like i said it's like a public school production value level to it that <laughs> right <laughs> makes it more awesome you know huh yep definitely uh check it out track it down yeah that does sound like a uh I can't say a good one, but I know they they have clips of it on YouTube, Rob, and I would highly recommend that you maybe put one of those up in the listing. Like when you put this up on your website, like, you know, put, put that in there. Just, you know, just say, watch after the show is done. (laughs) Huh? Yes. Yes. I can definitely see that. (laughs) All right. So I guess I should probably go with my number one. Uh-oh. And my number one is probably a film, that I, again, that I suspect most of you are probably familiar with. Um, and both of you have probably seen, at least once anyway. Uh, <laughs> I know I know Chad has. Chad's seen it a couple, more than once, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, now, this was a film that, um, again, it's a nostalgia pick. 
It came from the 1980s, and um, it probably, for me, set the standard for like what a fantasy film should probably be. Mm-hmm. And that probably gives it a, gives it away what it actually is, and that is Hawk the Slayer. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and anyone who has not seen Hawk the Slayer, I will I will explain it in short version. It's basically if you cross Dungeons and Dragons with the Magnificent Seven Seven Samurai, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I mean, there's a um, a nunnery in the middle of this misty forest that is under siege by a group of villainous bad guys who are just bad and i don't know mm-hmm. the warlord's army i guess and so they send out a call for help sort of except, <laughs> or maybe a sorceress just kind of helps them out i'm not sure what the hell and so they recruit um a, a fallen prince named well prince hawk or whatever he's called mm-hmm. and um they recruit a giant a dwarf an elf um and a couple other people and they you know with the magnificent seven characters and it is unbelievably you know and i don't use this word often cheesy there's no Mm. other way to describe hawk the slayer but it's also astoundingly entertaining um Mm. and it set the standard for me it really did like for for 80s fantasy and there wasn't a whole lot it was probably the best of the batch Mm. i mean Maybe it's because it had Jack Palinson as the bad guy, and <laughs> even um, I think John Terry was the name of the main actor who played Hawk. And he, they actually brought a little like there's a British quality to it that brought a little bit gravitas to it that it probably shouldn't have had, but it did anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember Rob that you introduced me to that thing um, years back. Like this is like way later, and I think it was in the about ten years ago, maybe I think. Wasn't it or maybe a little right. bit longer than that? And I just remember at the time. Much longer than that. Yeah, but back in university age. That's what it was, and and I remember thinking it's like, wow, it's like someone's D and D group mm-hmm. uh, made a movie about their D and D adventures. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah, that's that's a good way to describe Hawk the Slayer. It, um, and sorry, go on. Oh no, like you you guys are right. It is the most D and D thing ever done. <laughs> Oh, Especially yeah. like it is. old school eighties D and D, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I absolutely agree, and just the the humor in it between the dwarf and the giant, for example. Yeah. Um, the oh, uh, what is it? Lizard's eyeballs. I remember. For, you know, it's, oh, there's so many good lines and mm-hmm. good humor, and oh, it just it just works. And of course, the the rapid fire arrows, <clears throat> which yeah. everyone remembers. Yeah. And. The, the, oh, the silly string. Oh, yeah. Silly string magic. Like, it's it's only a step above, really, a bunch of LARPers doing this thing. <laughs> but they're really good LARPers. Yeah, it's, it's, see, I, I put that, like, um what I was saying about Better Off Dead. Hawk the Slayer, there were a fair number of those kind of films that, that, that like, it's, it's, it's kind of um the end of the, the beginning of those you might call them fantasy, but they're they're definitely D and D inspired films. Mm-hmm. And it's not a terrible film. It's not a great film. It kind of encapsulates that whole genre in one decent, entertaining package. Mm, definitely. So, and, I was going to say, didn't didn't also it did it did the typical like, hey, remember Star Wars? We're kind of like Star Wars. Like, didn't the main character kind of look like Helen Solo, as I recall? 
He was dressed kind of similar. He does, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, he's basically a fantasy version of Han Solo. Yeah. That's what he looks like. Palance, Palance <laughs> looks like Vader. He's got, like, the, the armor oh, and that. Yeah. The only thing is, because um, there's a Rift Tracks version of that one, and they point out one interesting thing is um, the main character and, and Jack Palance's character are supposed to be, like, brothers, but Palance is, like, 40 years older than the other guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. So... <laughs> yeah, I always thought that was weird because he, he killed spoiler. He uh, like he killed the main character's um, what beloved or yeah. girlfriend or whatever because he was jealous. Basically, they both wanted the same woman. Yeah, and uh, so that's why and Palance killed her, and that's why he's he became exiled and became a warlord. Basically, well, that and his pact with evil, as I recall. Well, yeah, he did his pact with evil too. Yeah, yeah. There's the evil. Oh, they never made the sequel either. Oh, that would have been so cool. Well, now, and this was theatrical, right? Like it was. They got a theatrical oh, yeah. release, mm. right? Yeah, as far as I know, it did. Yeah. Um, so, Hawk the Slayer again. You can probably find it on YouTube. I mean, I imagine there's probably an official DVD release of it. It's it's enough yeah. of a cult film that I'm sure that it actually. Probably not Blu-ray, but probably <laughs> there's an official DVD release of it. Then yeah. again, there's a Blu-ray, I think, of many of these films, so you never know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe there is. It seems to me, too, as I, I sort of recall that, like, the legacy of that movie, it, it's sort of like making these kind of, you know, um, low-budgety fantasy films. It kind of shifted away from, uh, like, theatrical stuff and just went right into straight-to-DVD things. I seem mm-hmm. to... Like, wasn't it kind of right at the beginning of that? And I think it was probably one of the last you know, theatrical type movies. Maybe not the, not, yeah, not yeah. the last, but certainly in that it was kind of, I think Don, you said the beginning of the end kind of thing. Well, the end of the beginning, mm. I guess they're different, I guess. Um, cause mm. there, there were a bunch, um, that did have theatrical release. And then a lot of the rate to video ones that came out were, uh, they were imports, right? Mm-hmm. That they were like Italian, like the, the Italians made tons of these things. And, and and they were just hastily hastily dubbed and put out on video, right? Because I do remember um, Sword and the Sorcerer. I believe it was uh, yeah. Was that came out a few years later? But and uh, I guess Conan the Barbarian. But you could see like sort of the shift happening where it, it switched over to D or DVD uh, VHS a video tape. Yeah, yeah, VHS because that's where the that's where the money was, right? Yeah. Well, also, you could put out stuff faster, and, and, and you know, it doesn't have to have the same budget, and people will watch yeah. it anyway. So, Because that's what I'm thinking of things like Darkstalker. I don't think Darkstalker – maybe the first one was, but I, I seem to recall the second one, the second Darkstalker movie, which mm-hmm. was another of these kind of you know quickie fantasy movies. It was yeah. straight video, I seem to recall. I think, yeah. I think the first one was actually theatrical, though. The first Darkstalker was, yeah. 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 yeah, which actually bleeds us to at least one of my runner-ups. Uh-huh. I'm going to start with. I'm going to start with. I'm going to take the stage and start with my <laughs> runner-ups, and we'll see how if you guys like them. Okay. What we're going to do is we're going to do some. We're going to do a speed round. Okay. Okay. I'm go. I'm going to set the uh, set my timer so that and, and I'm not going to spend. We're not going to spend more than one minute per film. <laughs> okay. That's how we're going to do this. Okay. Okay. Let me just set my timer here. <laughs> All right. So, first one. Okay, um, Deathstalker 2. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, which is perhaps one of the most entertaining fantasy films besides Hunt <laughs> Slayer ever made. And it's incredibly funny, um, especially for se- how self aware everything is. And the actors are basically breaking the fourth wall and making jokes. Yeah. And doing 
all sorts of stuff. The best, though, is actually the outtakes at the end. Yes. Mm. <laughs> the outtakes are even better than the film, which is not difficult, but but it's so funny. Um, I highly recommend Deathstalker 2 if you get the chance. Okay, Chad, go. Uh, Ricky O, the story of Ricky, which is... Uh, <laughs> it's this crazy martial arts movie based on a manga of the same name, done, I think, by a Chinese company... And boy, again, the uh, the attempt, the, the ambition was far greater than the uh, you know the skill of the film and uh, uh, the filmmakers and and the the production budget. But boy, is it a lot of fun! And again, has some genuinely creative, weird stuff in it. Like uh, a character punches a bad guy, and it immediately cuts to an X-ray version of that character's outline, and you see his his skeleton shatter, you know, in this X-ray setup. It's friggin' brilliant. So uh, yeah, get, right. very violent though. Ultra, ultra violent. So like again, uh, not that it's convincingly violent. Like the the gore is not convincing, but still a lot of fun. Mm. Okay, I can see that. Okay, Don, go. Uh, my martial arts pick would have to be the Death Master, which was oh, okay. It was a seventies film. It's basically about this guy's like uh, comes back after his wandering kung fu-ness. He's a hippie. He goes to the hippie commune where they're being besieged by bikers, and he beats the shit out of the bikers, and they decide to join the hippies, and that's when this like ancient vampire shows up, turns them all into minions, kung fu hippie versus biker versus vampire. That is awesome. Okay, my next one. My next one is The Legend of Boggy Creek. Oh. Um, again, another, I'm sorry, I'm a nostalgic guy, another nostalgia play, which is, of course, the super low-budget uh, docudrama of the events that occurred in, um, oh, Fook. It's actually Fook something. I'm forgetting the name. Chad, you probably know. I, Fook what? Yeah, I know the one. Of course, I'm drawing a blank now, too. I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, it's, it's oh, Fook, Fook, Fook. Ah, um, <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> it's not the Fook, it's not like the Fook Lake monster. It's something like that. Yeah. No. And anyway, it was it's supposedly based on these events that occurred around uh, Fook, Louisiana, whatever it is, Fook, Louisiana. Um, and so and about this like Bigfoot esque monster that was basically stalking the area and stalking this town, and it's played up as a as a recreation. So it's not a traditional horror movie, but it does build as it goes. It's surprisingly creepy as it plays out. It's also surprisingly boring when the monster's not on the screen. Um, <laughs> but as a kid, it blew my mind. And yeah, after watching that, I wouldn't sit, like, go to the bathroom with the window open for, like, years. Um, and anyone who's seen it would understand why. Um, yeah, windows, curtains, summer nights, no, not good. Uh, but yeah, it's got some really scary moments. Worked for me, totally. Okay, Chad, go. Um, I was I was actually going to put this in as one of my choices originally, but again, it's one of these weird movies that sits in sort of a. It's not really a bad film, but I know it was it was hated by critics. Was was the uh, the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which I mm. love. Um, mm. It's a very well done movie, but people didn't. Like, I mean, I remember it was a box office bomb. Yeah, uh, when it came yeah, out, yeah. Uh, and then I, I watched it. I'm like, how did this thing bomb? I don't understand. Like, it was it was well done. Uh, beautiful direction, beautiful set uh, set design, like just everything about that thing. Um, and it has like a really funny, interesting backstory to it about how when they try to do this thing in Spain to save money, the the sort of the gap in understanding English started making the show more expensive. So when they asked mm-hmm. for cannons, instead of giving them, you know, mache, paper mache ones, they gave them real metal ones. So the budget just <laughs> right. skyrocketed, you know. Right. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> I can see that definitely. Don, go. Uh, more '80s cheese. The Dungeon Master. 
Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Also known as Rage War, where a uh, mm. an evil extra dimensional entity captures a guy who's a computer programmer because it's the early eighties and computers can do anything. So he has an armband that links him to his computer that lets him fire lasers and override stuff as the evil entity sends him to all these different worlds where he has to like fight in a Mad Max style race and beat evil like demon zombie monsters and listen to Wasp for some reason. <laughs> that sounds awesome (laughs) it is and it isn't but it is it's richard mall playing the uh the the main evil villain right of course it is (laughs) of course of course richard mall you know had a sideline he was bull on night court and then he was the villain in every second disney film that came out in the 80s true yep okay so my next one would be uh going back to the japanese realm would be war of the gargantuan oh love that movie (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, if for no other reason than the than the musical routine, what is it? My what is it? My song gets stuck, stuck in, in my throat. throat. Yeah. It, yeah, it was the words get stuck in my throat. Yeah. The words get stuck in my throat. Oh my god. Burns. <laughs> that is an amazing film. Again, it's another. It's a really good giant monster film, relatively speaking. Um, but and but it's really entertaining. But it just has this weird side schlock. You know, aspect to it, like like that, for example, that just really makes it entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I definitely enjoy that one a lot. All right, so Chad, you got another one? Uh, yes, the Giant Claw, which was uh, another. Oh, speaking of oh. giant monster movies, was um, it was a, a monster movie from the fifties, I believe. I think it was the fifties, mm-hmm. or yeah. And um, it's sort of notorious for having the the the, the, the titular creature. Of the of the of yeah. the name of the film, my God! What had happened was they sent the uh, the effects footage to Mexico to save money and kind of got what they paid for. Um, this thing is like this big marionette looking bird, googly eyed, in a weird way, it actually becomes horrifying because it's so terrible looking. Like it's actually yeah. unsettling to look at. It's this kind of it's got like a little tuft of hair, like it's got a bald head with a little tuft and teeth. It's it's horrible. But the funny <laughs> thing is, is the movie plays itself out so dead serious that it just it hits this oddball fever pitch. Of like, right. this is what everyone's scared of. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, they actually almost convince you to be scared of this puppet because they are actually so earnest in the movie. Yes, like mm-hmm. it really is like they took a almost A grade film, so to speak, and then they stuck it. You know, then then they had like Tiny Talent Time do the special effects. <laughs> oh yeah, and what's so, what's hilarious? So it's got this weird vibe. Yeah. yeah, and apparently, yeah. apparently, when they the, the actors had not seen this thing, they only saw it for the first time, supposedly according to according to legend, when they went to the the, the first screening of it, and the main actor, the main, I guess the lead actor of the film, like walked out to go get drunk somewhere. Like he just couldn't believe what they were seeing. <laughs> Yep, I can totally buy that. Okay, yeah. Don, go. Yep. Um, well, to reference the the uh, the giant claw, I do. From what from what I I understand is, they filmed all of it without the monster first, and that was done dead serious. And yep. then they got the 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 puppet back, and that was why Not it feels like, yeah, because <laughs> it really is two different movies. Yeah. Right. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, any other picks, Don? Oh hell, I'm gonna go with again more '80s direct video cheese, Terror Vision. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, no? I have. Yes, that actually is a... It is a... No, that's actually... It's a bizarrely entertaining and creepy film. Yep. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's this uh, typical 80s yuppie hipster family 
that they get a satellite dish and they accidentally pick up an alien signal, which broadcasts this weird um, John Carpenter's thing-esque monster that ends up in the house. And it's slowly like killing off the family, including um, their survival's grandpa and Sherman, which is the uh, the son who's like grandpa's Mm -hmm. disciple. And I I forget the daughter's name, but her boyfriend's called O.D. and he's their typical 80s metalhead. And the parents are swingers, and they have, like, another couple over that same night while this monster's, like, killing them and absorbing their personalities. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and absorbing aspects of them and everything. It's it's both creepy, but also oddly entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Terrorvision, <laughs> yes. That's, that's actually not a bad pick. Mm. All right, so in, following our 80s cheese theme, I'm going to go with The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, okay. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There now, there's a there's a it's it has a true cult film status, and there's of course a good reason for it. It is just so offbeat; it's just kind of likable. You just can't you just can't help but enjoy it, and it just it carries itself so well. Um, it's Buckaroo Banzai for those who are not familiar. If you poor poor people, um, <laughs> is basically like the world's greatest super scientist adventurer character. He like yo has degrees in every martial art and every subject and and science and he also plays a mean guitar too <laughs> and so he forms an, an organization called the hong kong cavaliers which is basically all these other super scientist adventure guys because the whole thing is a giant tribute to doc savage basically mm-hmm. oh. and that kind of like adventure pulp hero that's what's going on and at the same time these uh aliens the leptoids from planet nine are the interdimensional aliens are basically invading and so he gets caught up in the whole like stopping them from invading because one of them that's actually not a bad not a a bad one no plant 10 sorry it's plant Mm -hmm. 10 but the one that's actually not a bad one kind of tells him what's going on and so he and his all his people and the and his uh, auxiliary group the blue blazer regulars Mm -hmm. um (laughs) because it's oddly very like team focused and everything Mm -hmm. um all work together to try to stop them and uh it's got um like john lithgow in first role i remember seeing him in he's mm-hmm. the main villain which is i believe john smallberries mm-hmm. <laughs> because all the villains have all named themselves john something mm-hmm. and they're all like but it's all john and it's something ridiculous like smallberries or something like that or two top or whatever it's they're all they're all all the lectoids it's one of the way you spot them is they're all named john um and it's just it's a really odd film and, but it's very entertaining, um, and uh, and it's absolutely one. It has one of the best credit sequences of all time. Oh, okay. End credits. Bless the pen. Best end credit sequences of all time. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? I uh, think the, so. The marching. That yeah, the march. Yeah. It's where they do the mar- They do the march to Buckaroo Banzai theme song, and it's just so happy and poppy, <laughs> and and it's just it's just like awesome. Yeah, and stay tuned for the sequel that never showed up. And stay tuned yeah. for the sequel, Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime League, which almost got made mm-hmm. uh, more than once, but has but apparently because of rights issues hasn't. In fact, they were about to do a Buckaroo Banzai TV series huh. um, with uh, Kevin Smith was going to direct, and it was going to be a big deal. And then it was discovered that the studio said they had the rights and the creators said that they now had the rights and there was basically a huge rights fight about to happen so the whole project get called off because um, we were about to see an actual modern updated version because it's it's a really beloved film yeah it really is and it, it and it deserves its status 
At least, at least I think so anyway. Mm. All right, so, uh, Chad, do you have any more? Uh, I have a film called My Name is Nobody. Have you ever seen that? Oh, I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. It's a really weird, obscure Western that was done in the 70s, and it's basically about this um, this up-and-coming gunslinger. He's this kind of youngish guy who's like a right. who's like a dead shot and uh he wa- he idolizes this older gunslinger who just wants to like basically retire but this this younger guy is like no no he's the greatest and i'll prove it by like setting him to fight this like 150 man gang known as the wild bunch i'll set them off against those guys and to prove how <laughs> awesome he is but right. this thing is so brilliantly shot it's it's actually kind of weird that it's not more famous than it is like Right. Um, the guy who directed it really knew his stuff when it came to like composition and color and and uh, shadow. Like when you watch this mm-hmm. thing with that in mind, you're like, my god, this thing is so well put together. It's kind of mind boggling, you know. But it's very subtle, obviously. But uh, right, um, very funny film, just really odd. And and again, it's got that cartoonish feel to it. Um, right. At times, you're almost watching a, like a live action cartoon movie. Um, right. But. Uh, but was it meant to be taken that oh, way? Oh, it was done as a well, it, it was done as a comedy. So uh, oh, it is done as a comedy. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sergio Le- uh, Sergio Leone actually came up with the idea for it. I, he didn't actually. Mm-hmm. That was kind of his, his involvement. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, like it's it's really interesting. It's worth um, you know tracking down to to watch. Right. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Don. Next one. Uh, I'm gonna go with the class of 1999. Ooh, oh yeah. Good one. Yeah. Which was basically it's set in the near future where like gangs have taken over and this company's mm-hmm. t- using uh they're they're terminators, but mm-hmm. they're yeah. they're teachers. They they yeah. sent them to the worst high school ever to act as teachers and clean the place up and of course hijinks ensue. They're terminated. Yeah, I was gonna and... say didn't didn't they learn their lesson from Chopping Mall to not have robots? <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody, yeah. nobody learns that one. But it's <laughs> it, it's another movie. It's an interesting idea. They don't do too bad of a job. Um, mm-hmm. Malcolm McDowell's in it. He plays like a victim, which is so weird to see. Uh, right. Stacy Keach plays the uh, the like representative from the company. He's the creepiest motherfucker ever. <laughs> and the movie has one of my all time favorite lines that you'd never put in a film now. But the um. The one gang leader, the one kid, had just gotten out of prison, and he figures out what's going on. He's trying to unite the gangs, and his big speech is ended with the verse, I don't know about you, but I'm going to go in there and kill me some teachers! (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's very 1999. It is, and it's it's another one of those ones that it's not a a terrible film, Mm. and it's really weird, and it's really entertaining. Right. I just remember it mostly as the sequel to The Class of 1984, which I remember watching years before. At least I think it was kind of meant to be, maybe. No, I, I don't know whether there's a real connection between them. No, there wasn't, because The Class of 1984, um, that's an interesting movie, too, because it was one of the generic... Um, you saw in the 70s going into the 80s, they did the Troubled Teen films, but the idea was the Troubled mm. Teen wasn't the misunderstand hero. They were a villain. Yes, yes, and, that's the class of 1984. Yeah, yeah, and it's basically a crime drama. What's most notable is the the bad guy, finger quotes, is, and, and they play him up as a bad guy. He, like, kills people and beats people up, and he rapes one of the teachers, and he's the most 80s thing ever. It looks like the 80s threw up on, like, Bud Bundy. 
yeah, basically. Yeah. And he would never fly as a villain because you'd see this guy with like his bright shirt and giant hair, and you'd be like, "Fuck off." <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I can totally see that. Yeah. Okay. Chad, you got another one? Uh, Mad Monster Party, which was um, it was a stop motion animated film by Rankin Bass, the uh, the people responsible mm-hmm. for um, well, King Kong Escapes, but also. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, Real Threadless Reindeer, and it was uh, it's this weird story about mm-hmm. uh, it's a full length film. This was actually like put in the theaters of the uh, Doctor Frankenstein uh, summons a bunch of monsters, uh, like classic Universal monsters. So there's like you know mm-hmm. Frankenstein and the uh, Dracula and the Wolfman, and all these guys show up for a big party where he's going to unveil um, his newest mm-hmm. uh, invention, which mm-hmm. happens to be, I believe, I think. Something about he had a formula. He was gonna he was gonna create like the the secret of total destruction. <laughs> was the mm-hmm. uh, that was his right. that was his invention. So <laughs> okay, secret of total destruction. Okay, works for me. Yeah, hmm. but it's 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 not a great movie, but I have a soft spot for it because it is stop motion, which I've always loved, and so and it's got some beautiful designs in it. And, yeah, uh, yeah, like it's just kind of it's just fun to see as a, a sort of a relic of its time period. I think right. I think it came in towards the end of that sort of the monster craze that happened in the fifties and sixties. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's probably a product of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at the sixties more. Well, what's interesting is that you can see in typical you know uh, cartoon fashion that they just jumped on whatever um, um, you know was popular at the time. So the spy films were becoming popular. So mm-hmm. the beginning, mm-hmm. the, the opening credits of the film have this really odd musical number that is so not fit to the film. Like it's a bad fit. It feels like it should be something in a, in a James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that it's supposed to be a monster film. And it's like, wh- where's this coming from? And it's clearly, it was just right, like, yeah. Oh, well this is popular right now. So let's put one of those in the, uh, in the opening. It's really yeah. strange. Okay. Okay. Weird. Yeah. Huh. Pe- pe- monster party. People nowadays would know it as uh as a uh, hotel Transylvania. Yeah, basically there's a lot of similarities. Yeah, that, that does sound familiar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, okay. I don't want to ruin part of the surprise for anybody who hasn't seen mad monster party. There's kind of a, it's, it's a twist at the end. And like I say, it's very reminiscent of a hotel Transylvania. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. Weird. Mm-hmm. Okay. So my next pick is a bizarre and somewhat obscure film. I think, think i showed it to you guys years ago maybe not called wild zero yeah 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 Yeah, Wild zero which i can best some it was a japanese thai co-production and i can best sum it up like this it's the story of a confused young man (laughs) who gets caught in the middle of an alien invasion and rescues this beautiful girl who turns out to be a guy and so he's basically confused because he has a real hard-on for this guy and he can't can't decide whether he's really in love with this like um transvestite or not hmm. um in in the meantime there's an alien plot where the aliens are basically raising massive amounts of dead very similar actually planet from outer space yeah. um in fact actually it's very similar in a couple different ways yeah. and with so they're fighting a zombie army and at the meantime he worships this guitar group called guitar wolf and um, who eventually, you know, show up in the film mm-hmm. um, and help him fight off the alien invasion um, <laughs> with in one of the most bizarre <laughs> battle scenes I've ever seen of its kind. Um, yeah. yeah. And it has the, oh my God, it has a lot of weird lines in that, but it's so bizarre and so entertaining mm. and so 
I don't know how else to describe it, but Wild Zero, I definitely recommend people go take a look for it. Mm. That's a good. That's a good one. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, do you have any other chats? I have. I'll. I'll. I'll do one other uh, animated one, which is uh, Watership Down. Oh. oh. Watership Down. If you've never seen it, is basically the story of like the lives of rabbits, and you're you're thinking to yourself, "Wow, that would be fun, right?" No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> It's like, it, it, it like kind of doesn't shy away from... Uh... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it would be like if they made a, a story of ducks, except that these are not the Donald and the Daisy ducks, these are the rapey ducks that, um, <laughs> you know, that ducks actually are. Yeah, it's almost like, um, well, they wanted to make a, uh, they, they wanted to make a, a you know, um, uh, an animated movie uh, about rabbits. Mm-hmm. Instead of going to Disney, they went to National Geographic instead and just kept the animation part. Like, I mean, it's based off a of book, but... This thing doesn't pull right, any yeah. punches of like, yeah, rabbits are at the bottom of the food chain, and mm-hmm. and when, you know, they're not busy running from stuff that's trying to eat or kill them. They're trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. Well, it's it's a whole allegory about like society and mm-hmm. hierarchy mm-hmm. and everything. Um, I remember um, seeing it in the theaters as a kid, and it oh the crap wow. out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it on TV. Oh my God! You saw the theater. yeah. So the theaters, there's no escape. You can't get up and leave or turn the channel. You just have to watch this thing. And uh, yeah, like it's uh, it's you couldn't make it now. Like you just couldn't. No. Oh no. Um, no, no, that's right up there with when the wind blows. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like a traumatizing film. Oh yeah, especially for young kids. Well, and especially because it's for a, well, and especially because it's about rabbits. Mm-hmm. You know, mm, you yeah. just kind of go, well, where's the cute stuff? I'm like, yeah. it's under all the blood. Just kind of look. <laughs> Yeah, because well, they're cute. They're cute. It is somebody said "Hmm?" they're not singing songs or anything. They're uh... (laughs) yeah. We're gonna make a film about rabbits. Should we go to Disney? No, let's see what Tarantino's doing. Yeah, Yeah, pretty much. Well, it's weird because they actually did try to they they rebrought it back sort of as a a TV show Mm -hmm. uh, a few years back. You're kidding? Yeah, but I mean. But within TV show broadcasting, you know, uh, subject matter limits, right? So obviously it was just a pale version of the original. And and the thing is that the movie is very true to the book. And the book is like this too. The book doesn't pull any punches. It goes, yeah, like being a, being a rabbit kind of sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it does. Okay. I I can definitely see that. All right. Don, what's your next one? I'll go with uh, Psychomania. Psychomania. I've heard of it for many years, but I've never seen it. No, uh, it's, it's I saw it when I was a kid, and I, it's one of the ones that I've always like been mildly obsessed with. Um, mm-hmm. It's set in like the late sixties, early seventies, and it's a British film. And the the main character is the leader of a motorcycle gang, and mm-hmm. his parents are are um, they're 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 witches, they're warlocks. They've made a pact with mm-hmm. the devil, and he finds out the secret of immortality, which is basically when you die, just don't believe you're dead. There's there's not much more to it than that. So he's trying to get his gang to kill themselves. So they come back to these like invulnerable, like demonic monsters. And it, the best part of the film is he's taught them this and you see them offing themselves in all these interesting semi comedic ways. Right. There's, there's one scene at the morgue where, uh, where the the janitor's sweeping up and you hear this like knocking and he looks over like the at the 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 freezers and the one guy's leaning over going hey could you open this it's cold in here oh weird jesus okay it is it's it's really weird 
it's it's one of them ones that's it's low-key, but it is kind of creepy, especially when you get mm. to, like, how it ends and you find out what's going on and all that. Right. Okay. Oh. I can definitely see that. Mm. Huh. Okay, definitely one to look out for, probably on YouTube as well. Yeah. Um, My next pick would probably be Them, T-H-E-M. Oh, okay. oh yeah. Which, which is... You know, it is not a terrible film. I actually really almost shouldn't include it. It's more of a cult film than a terrible film. It's much better than you would actually think it is. Um, but it is, especially with that, uh, it, it's basically the story of, you know, the people are disappearing in this, like, desert town. And so they, so some people, some other people, researchers or whatever, show up and try to, try to find out what's going on and discover that nuclear tests have grown the local ants the size of, like, Buicks. Mm-hmm. And the ants are basically slowly working their way. Well, they're they're being ants. They're just do, being giant size ants. So among other things, for food, they're harvesting the local people. And they've got these gigantic ant animatronic creatures that they've built for the show, mm-hmm. and which are awesome to look at. And of course, it has that classic sound that the ants make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you've seen them, if you were to hear that sound, you would freak the hell out. <laughs> that that it, it's creepy as hell, and it it. Actually, is this, actually I really shouldn't include it because it really is actually a good film, mm-hmm. surprisingly good for what it, it is. It, well, like, I was going to say, Rob, it, it does tor- sort of technically qualify because it doesn't quite grab the the ambition that the story demands. It can't. Yeah, that's true. Um, mm, that's it's true. one of those weird movies that I'm amazed has never been like remade, especially nowadays when like doing a horde of giant computer ants would be a snap. Yeah. Yeah, you know they just they can't get the scope in there because it would just been too expensive. But they could do it now. Mm -hmm. Um, I've actually I've always said if you're going to remake something, remake that thing. It would be really something to watch that. You know, with the scope that was that story was really intended for. So Mm -hmm. they do a pretty good job, even with the scope they've got, even with their limited budget and everything. They do a pretty good job considering when it was made and how it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, it's another one. It's kind of the uh, the pinnacle of the radioactive, like mutant giant insect films. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Well, I think it was well, that or the Deadly Mantis. Yeah, yeah it, it sort of kickstarted that whole radiation makes things very big and pissed off genre. Yeah. Mm. Um, it was yeah, because I mean, up until that point, you look at something like the uh, Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms. That's more like radiation wakes up something that should have stayed asleep. This is now yeah. like, okay, radiation is now actually actively creating monsters, not just waking them up anymore, you know? Yeah. Yep, exactly. Radiation is going to kill us all. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's let's bring this on home then. So, Don, do you have a final one from your list you're going to pick? A final one. Okay, I'm going to... Yeah, what, what do you want to end off on? Oh, decisions. I know you have a long list. Decisions, decisions, decisions. Um, I think I'm going to go with um, another one that's a weird creepy film was Ben. Oh yeah. Oh, good film. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one that, um, I only found out years later that it kind of became a genre on its own. And it's, it's a sequel to, to the movie Willard. Yes, it is. And, and Ben is the heartwarming story of this like lonely outcast boy that makes friends with a giant, killer rat that helps him exterminate his enemies <laughs> yep so, and, yep and it, it's notable the theme song is this like touching love song sung by uh, a young michael jackson 
Yes. Yes, it mm-hmm. is. That's what it's famous for. Yeah. That I don't think people. I don't think people realize is being sung to a giant killer rat. <laughs> yeah, that's true. What's well, because it's, it's storing the song is about like friend a friendship yeah. and a great love for your friend and everything like that. But yeah, it's a giant killer rat. Yeah, so it's basically the the story is like a heartwarming version of uh, Unknown Origin. If you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, you're not familiar with that one. No, I'm not uh, actually. Is that it's another giant rat movie in New York? Yeah, Peter Weller is um is uh it's Peter Weller versus a weird giant like kind of dog sized rat that keeps breaking into his house. <laughs> he's trying he's trying to renovate an old building, and this thing doesn't like that idea. So it uh, it's him versus this big rat. <laughs> wow. Peter Weller also Buckrobot. Yeah, I exactly. Coincidentally, enough. yeah. All right. Um, so, Chad, do you have a final one you want to mention? or? Are you uh, no, listen, I got a list as long as my arm, but I'll, I'll mention this one again, sort of quasi-animated called Alice, which was a Czechoslovakian take on um, Alice in Wonderland. I don't know if you've ever seen this thing. It's this weird hybrid no. live-action uh, animated movie and not, not traditional hand-drawn animation, but like creepy stop-motion animation. It, it has this look to it, this very broken, run-down look, like... Um, Wonderland is like basically portrayed as a series of inside, like a, 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 a sort of a tenement house. You know, um, all the creatures, like the white rabbit, are like literally taxidermy models running around. It's wow. you know, uh, Alice shrinks from drinking like a potion, and she turns into a weird little stop motion, cu- uh, like a uh, cupid doll. It's a really weird movie, but it's fascinating to watch just from it's dedication to what it's doing uh, from a, you know, an art direction point of view. Um, and it's unsettling and oddly enough, like very um, faithful to the original story. It's just done in this really kind of unsettling style. Um, right. You know, we're seeking out just to watch it just for that. Like it's, it's, you know, you're, it's creepy, but it's cool. Mm. Mm. Wow. Okay. Um, and I'm going to end with another Chinese film. Um, this one's not, in the League of Taoist Drunker, and again, it's another one like them, it's kind of like borderline, depends on your perspective, I guess, mm-hmm. and that's Chinese Ghost Story. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's a good one. Chinese Ghost Story is is another incredibly entertaining film, but at the same time, really bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, the short version is, is it's about a scholar, it takes place in old China, and this young scholar uh, can't find any place to live, so he stays at a, a temple, and he meets this beautiful ghost that it turns out is a slave to a giant demon tree and so he teams up with this singing kung fu um (laughs) priest that to help defeat the evil demon tree that like uses these female ghosts to basically lure men in and suck their life out Mm. and she's got a whole harem of them and except it's really bizarre but it's also oddly sweet and fun and just a really entertaining film. And they made like 10 sequels to it yeah. because it was so damn popular. Yes, but now didn't also this thing fall, like they don't make them anymore because isn't there now some uh, anti-ghost rule in, in China where you can't... Oh, yeah. yeah. This is from like 1980s Hong Kong. Um, you're right. They couldn't make it now because they couldn't be shown in the Chinese market because you're not allowed to promote the supernatural. Mm-hmm. So you can't have any ghost films in Hong Kong. Yeah, it's kind of weird how it's this oddball relic that was insanely popular and now it's kind of like mm-hmm. forgotten about in a weird way. Yeah, because you couldn't show it in mainland China right now, not legally. But from what I hear, in it, China's kind of like here in a sense that a lot of stuff gets passed around the Internet yeah. that officially isn't supposed to be released. 
Um, so it won't show up on TV or anything, but I bet Chinese could still watch it if they want to. And I know it's still popular in like Hong Kong and Taiwan and the Chinese diaspora anyway. Yeah. And it has a lot of fans outside of China too, of course. Yeah, yeah it even spawned a, an animated movie, as I recall. Yeah. Yes, yes it did. Uh, that, again, that was a Hong Kong film because they... I think that came out, though, before the whole ghost ban in China. Mm -hmm. The whole ghost ban in China is maybe less than 10 years old. Yeah, right. And so it's been remade many times because it literally was one of the most popular Hong Kong films of all time, I think. Wow. Yeah. Um, for a very good reason. It's like, it like hits a bunch of notes beautifully. But at the same time, it's a really bizarre and over-the-top film. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so that's why I would recommend anyone check out, if they can, Chinese ghost story. Just number one, don't see any of the sequels, which are mostly just remakes of the first one anyway. Chinese ghost story, the first one, if for no other reason than the Tao song oh. that the that the kung fu uh, priest sings, and which will be stuck in your head for ages. It's just <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. So I think that that concludes our speed round, and I think we have definitely covered a a whole um, buttload of. Uh, Interesting cult, not cult, but definitely imperfect watchable <laughs> films. And the holiday special. <laughs> and the holiday special. I was about to say that. And the holiday special, yeah. Which is definitely not watchable, but should you dare or you'll be drunk or high, uh, give it a go. In fact, I, re I recommend you be in one of those states for that thing. <laughs> yeah, it helps. Or the Riff Tracks version. Or the Riff Tracks. Oh. But I'm not even sure Riff Tracks could save that. <laughs> no, there's just no. <laughs> I mean, it does include... Now, this is just a quick question, because it's been a long time. It includes Princess Le uh, Carrie Fisher there singing the Star Wars theme with lyrics, too, doesn't it? Yeah, it's the Life Day song at the end, yeah. Okay, and that's the Star Wars song with lyrics, basically. I think it kind of is it's it can be hard to peg down because this is like when your family gets eaten by a werewolf how your mind blocks it out um yeah, right the, the movie's like that Cause I, yeah because i know there is a version of it with lyrics and i think that that was it yeah I think that's what she's saying mm. I, I but i yeah i do think it is i know that there is the singing bit at the end <laughs> but anyway <laughs> Well, there's more than one singing bit, because B. Arthur sings, too. Yeah, there's a lot of singing in it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. There's... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, oh, that... Oh, my God. That means... I, I just forgot another awesome film, or just remembered one. But anyway, or it's awesome but terrible film. But okay, well, we'll have to do a sequel someday. Okay. So... We'll, we'll just have to do this again. Mm. There, there's no other choice. Um, <laughs> but not anytime soon, because I think we've given our audience more um, lovable films than they can probably handle for a while. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I do recommend people check all of these out. I mean, I'll put links to them in the show notes. Um, if I can't find the actual film on YouTube, I'll at least put the trailer in the show notes. So you can see most of them. Mm -hmm. And I imagine I can find trailers to pretty much every one on YouTube. Yeah. If not, the link to the actual film. I'll try to put both up if I can. Yeah. So if you if you want to see these films, come on over to ObeyTheDNA.com and uh, check the show notes. And you'll probably be able to find them. If not, check out, you know, Google it, YouTube it, and you'll probably find most of them because, yeah, some of them are probably out of copyright, and yeah. a lot of cases the studios just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, any final words, Chad? Uh, no, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me back, guys. Mm. Oh, thanks. Thanks for coming yeah. on. You were the indeed the perfect person to come on and uh, talk <laughs> cult movies with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if there's ever a son of cult movies podcast, uh, <laughs> give me a call. 
<laughs> we definitely will. Um, how about you, Don? Any final words? Oh no, I think we got pretty much uh, everything we're going to get. So, all right. On that note, uh, thank you everyone for listening, and please tune in next time when we'll talk about something equally awesome that you will not believe and will not be the Star Wars holiday special because we've already talked about. Ah, uh, here, here you go, Rob. I'll give you a perfect way to go out on this thing. Uh-oh. In the immortal oh, sure. words of uh, the final scene from the um, Plan 9 from Outer Space, can you prove that it didn't happen? Good night, folks. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at obeythedna.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya!